0: We're going to be reading from the NRSV. I had a hard time finding an NRSV on my shelf, but I I did. Um, Anyway, the, the words are up there for you to follow along, so please stand for the reading of God's Word. The Word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. The vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he re <coughs> me. The vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel as seemed good to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Can I not do with you, O house of Israel, just as this potter has done, says the Lord, just like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. The word of the Lord.
1: You may be seated. We haven't done a microphone check, so hopefully this is a decent volume. If not, we'll get it sorted out. Uh, Well, it's good to be with you this morning. Uh, Welcome. Uh, Thanks for welcoming me and my wife. So my name is is Rusty Bryan. So uh, technically it's Reverend Dr. Rusty Bryan. I just prefer you just call me Rusty or you can call me Pastor Rusty. Um, I was ordained in 2009 in the Church of the Nazarene and I received a PhD in 2010. Um, I've pastored and taught... Since then, um, my, my wife and I spent the last few years living in Nairobi, Kenya, um, working with Nazarene Global Missions. Uh, I was a professor at African Nazarene University, and my wife was a teacher at uh, the West Nairobi School and International Christian School there. She ta- taught first grade. Uh, before that, we lived, we've, we've moved a lot as a result of education and pastoring. Before that, we lived for about three and a half years in the Bay Area in California, in Concord. Um, kind of the East Bay area, and, and prior to that, in Renton, Washington, just just outside of Seattle, just south of Seattle, pastored in those places, and then some other things before that. Um, I teach online uh, for NNU. I have for some time. When I was in Seattle, I taught at Seattle Pacific University in the classroom, and as I mentioned, uh, taught at African Nazarene University the last couple years. We are new to the area. We're from New Mexico originally. Just giving you a little, little brief bio here for those that weren't there this morning. Um, we both grew up in Clovis, New Mexico. I know a few of you have been there or been through there. Um, small town, and we left and really just go back to visit family. Both of our families live there, um, so we've spent some time there the last few summers on when we were on home assignment or kind of preparing to go to Africa or coming back from Africa. Um, that's where we were this summer. Um, why are we here? You might ask. So, just the the, the short version. Um, last October, so almost a year ago, uh, unexpectedly, my father passed away. Uh, I'm an only child, and so as we were debating whether we would be staying in Kenya long term, uh, our our oldest daughter, who's here, Lily, is just started middle school. She's embarrassed that I just said her name. Um, so we, we were committed. We've moved so much to staying put once she got to that point. And uh, being an only child, that would mean my mom would be alone, you know, for quite some time. And we thought, no, that's... that's we were already wrestling with it, and that was a cue to, to come home and get closer to family. So... Um, Had some offers way far away and far distant places that in the past we probably would have said yes to, but uh, we were committed to trying to get closer to family. My parents were thinking of retiring in this area anyways, and we have been contemplating moving to northern Colorado for some time. So we thought, you know, let's just... Let's move where we want to be and trust that God's going to bless that. And so within about four or five days, Lauren had two different job offers. Uh, she's a teacher. She's wonderful. She ended up settling on... She teaches at Resurrection Christian School in Loveland, teaches second grade, and is about two weeks in, three weeks in, loving it, doing great, um, but still getting settled. And unlike the past where we've moved for me, um, it's a little different. So we knew we were coming here. Uh, I've got to know your district superintendent, uh, Virgil, but uh, uh weren't many openings and so forth, and so we just were talking, and, and we were actually in Longmont at a hotel. Uh, she was getting situated uh, here before we moved up into our home and uh, received an email saying that your pastor was retiring. And he said, can I place you as the interim pastor? Um, so I'll explain what that means just, just really quickly, and then we'll jump into the sermon for today. So I said yes. I'm excited to be able to, to be with you for um, an indefinite amount of time, but most likely a few months or so at least, and I'm excited about that opportunity. Uh, so we said yes to that. We had purchased a home in Windsor. Um, So it's a little bit from here. It takes about 40 minutes to get here. Uh, But it was real close and convenient for the school where the kids are also going. So it makes a lot of sense that four of the five of us are going there every day. And um, we love our home and just excited to be kind of plugging into the community and figuring out what life looks like in a different phase, a, a new phase of life for us. So what it means for me to be your interim pastor it means just that I'm interim. I'm here temporarily to help you out, to get to know you, to give you some stability. It can be very difficult in these times uh, to have somebody different every week, uh, kind of all over the place, and, and nobody here to, to kind of keep things focused. So I'm here to do that, to get to know you, to love on you, to find out what are your needs, what are your strengths, how can I encourage you, how can I give you some, some loving, uh, you know, critical feedback about about yourself and what's going on as you prepare for next steps. And I'm just here to help you get you ready for whatever that's going to be whoever that's going to be what that's going to look like uh, that interim time can take anywhere from three to more likely five or six months usually especially when you've had somebody uh, who's been like you did who's been here for a while it's good to have a little bit of time in between as you prepare for for what's next so um, that's what I've been asked to do is to help you do that I'll be around once or twice a week during the week and uh, certainly on Sundays providing uh, preaching and that kind of Um, some board leadership, some stability. So I look forward to getting to know you. Um, I'm not your new pastor, um, but I'm I'm here temporarily to help you out and then just kind of see what happens from there uh, and to help make sure that you are ready for the next step. So does that make sense? So you'll get to know me well, and we'll all just see sort of how things go in the future. I look forward to uh, part of what I want to do is getting to know you individually and as groups. I'll try to visit the different groups that meet here and there, and just learn. You know what's what's going on. How do how do you think things are going? What are your hopes and dreams for this place? Um, You know what are we what are you doing good at? What are you not doing good at? Um, I can help kind of go back and forth with the DS and and that sort of thing as well. So. Look forward to getting to know you all. And it's, it's as somebody who was a preacher every week for, for 10 years, it was very weird over the last two years to not preach. And I've missed that. I feel called to do that. So I'm excited to be able to preach and, and just to share with you and share some life with you. Amen? All right. Well, thanks for the reading. Um, is, it, is it Dean? All right. Thank you, Dean, for reading scripture. And yeah, so I will say, so having um, done a lot of schooling, I also teach a lot of classes. um, I know Greek. I don't really know Hebrew very well, um, but I got used to having to do translations and the NRSV and the NASV are the most accurate literal translations from Greek and Hebrew. The NRSV reads a bit more. Most most university classes that I'm familiar with, the, the teachers will require that translation, and it's just become a habit of mine. I like it. Um, I know that you don't have that in your your pews. You probably don't read it. It's very close, um, so you feel free to just read right along. Sorry to, to make you learn or hear from a different uh, version, but it's helpful, um, I think, and it's just a habit of mine. So if you were one of my students, I'd require you to, to use it Um and it's just is something that's become ingrained in me, so. So in our passage today, we heard from, uh, from Dean reading the, the words of the prophet Jeremiah. If you've never read Jeremiah or if it's been a while, it's, it's one of those, uh, when I was early on as a youth pastor, I'd like to point out to teens, like, nah, I don't want to read the Bible. I'm like, no, you should read this thing. It's, it's like, this is like an X-rated book. It's crazy. Some of the language and things in here are, Stark and scary and weird and graphic. Uh, Jeremiah is a is a crazy book. Um, this this passage, this brief passage. It's surrounded by some difficult stuff, and I, I wanted us just, just to read this more hopeful, encouraging bit here today as we get started. The words come from about 600 years before the time of Christ, about 600 B.C., um, and they're given to those who would listen, which were not always that many. If you know anything about the prophets, they have a very nobody signs up to be a prophet. Nobody wants to be a prophet. Nobody wants to hear what they have to say, and they pretty much all end up killed. Uh, not, not a pleasant uh, job to apply for. So Israel has just, the northern kingdom, Israel has just returned from exile recently. They've been in, in a place called Egypt. You've probably heard some of that story. And they come back, but they're struggling. They're struggling with all sorts of issues. They have corrupt leaders. They have, they have, uh, they're, they're struggling with corruption. Um, identity issues. Who are we? This is who we were. This is who we are now. Um, when you go into exile and you come back, I'm told you, you encounter new gods and ways of life, and then you have to figure out how all that works together. One of the things in particular they're struggling with, something that often we don't like to talk about but we struggle with today, is that their leaders in particular weren't, weren't caring for the least of these. The, 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 the Old Testament commonly will refer to the alien, the orphan, and the widow. So the the stranger or the immigrant, the orphan, the the child without parents, the widow, the, the the woman or the man, but the woman usually who has no spouse and who's been left to fend for herself, and and the way that that, that worked, it, it wasn't very easy. You can add the the poor into this as well, and they were they were instead of taking care of these people, they were sort of trampling on them. Uh, and, and things were not good. And Jeremiah is challenged to bring difficult words to Israel to say, God has told us how to live. Are we going to do this? Or... Are we going to be like the southern kingdom of Judah, which has just been captured and taken into exile by Babylon? An exile that they never return from. Uh, they come in, they, they take away many, many of the people. They're sent off, they're not killed, they're sent off into foreign places to work, to bear children, to be concubines, all sorts of different things. They're populated now by Babylon, Babylon and they, they, they never leave that relationship uh, it's terrible they, the northern kingdom knows about what's happening and Jeremiah is basically ta- he, he prophesied this comes to pass and he says this is what God actually wants as a judgment on the people and now he gets to say to the northern he has to say to the northern kingdom do you want this to happen to you are you going to learn are you going you were delivered you were brought home Are you going to learn? Are you going to change? Are you going to grow? This is what's happening in the passage. Jeremiah is sharing hope. Now, if you read on, if you read before, you read after, you'll, you'll, you'll see that it's not always hope that he's sharing. Um, it's what, I, I love Tolkien. If you're a Tolkien scholar or reader, you might, he might say something like, it's a fool's hope. It's very little hope, but there is hope. He's sharing hope with them. It's a beautiful passage, I think, a beautiful imagery that, that applies today just as well as it did you know, thousands of years ago. But it's slim, and it's surrounded by woe and by judgment um, and difficulty. Will they learn? So, as an interim pastor, and getting to know you a little bit so far today, and like I said, I look forward to this over the coming months, I know a little bit about you and where you've been. I've certainly pastored churches that have gone through interim periods. I know that you're a longtime pastor who most of you probably loved, and some of you probably felt otherwise about, but he was your pastor nonetheless, right? We all have different feelings. Hopefully everybody loved him. But I know he's retired. And that brings about all sorts of change and new feelings and new... Situations, worries. I know that the church, both big C, global and and local, I'm assuming, little c, has probably gone through some decline over the years. Things are changing. Things have changed. That can be scary. That can be difficult. Then, I'm not an alliteration person, but there's the three C's, the three big C's that stick out to me that the church, just in general, has to deal with today. COVID and its aftermath. Something that none of us could have even really thought of unless you happen to be like a, you know, a pandemic expert a few years ago, but that has just changed the whole world and it has certainly changed the church. in many ways, for for good and for bad, but it's you. You really can't do church today without having to just think through all sorts of things that you didn't think through before. All sorts of new challenges. I had to say goodbye to the church that I was pastoring, a church that I loved. And when COVID first started, I shared with the group earlier. It was so hard to. It was, I felt like I was signing off as a TV anchor in front of a screen in a big empty sanctuary and. And then just leave. And so many people during that time decided, yeah, I don't really don't need the church. Or I can just have my dose of church on my phone or my screen or anywhere and then go do whatever. I can do it maybe while I'm at Costco or having brunch or something like that. And uh, good or bad, that's the way it is now. And we have to figure out what do we do with this? Culture, the another C, a changing culture that's drastically changing, rapidly changing, causes many of us to be afraid or at the very least confused as things swirl and change. We don't like that. We don't feel comfortable with this, but we can't do anything about that. And then just change in general, right? COVID culture and change. It really all falls under that final C, change. I I like to say, I'm sure I heard this, this is not my phrase, but I say it, that the only constant in life is change, right? Life is always changing. As soon as you feel like you know something or you're getting used to something, they update that technology or, or, or something changes around you, your neighbors change, your church changes, the world changes. And you can't hide from it, you can't run from it, what what really matters is how you embrace it, right? Can you can you embrace it and engage it? Uh, I often think in terms of the imagery of like, I'm not a sailor, but of sailing. And the winds are going to come no matter what. Are you able to to receive them and adjust so that you can sail? Or do you just drop your sail and float and not go anywhere, right? This is our challenge that the church in general faces and that I think you face today. In our passage, Jeremiah describes the people as a spoiled vessel. I think it's a beautiful image that I think we can all relate to. Picture a potter making some, something out of clay, if not maybe a woodworker or, or some kind of artisan. You're make, making something and it just doesn't turn out quite the way you expected. Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever made something or tried to make something? And it just doesn't turn out exactly the way you thought. Maybe it's one of those, they have that show, Nail, uh, was it Nailed It or something, where they it doesn't look at all like what you thought it was going to look like, and it's kind of comical. But in this image, we see Jeremiah sees the potter, and he's taking something that's broken, cracked, whatever, and, he, and, and the potter's refixing it, refashioning it. So it has new life, it has new purpose. Uh, this is one of the things that I liked the most living in Kenya. I was amazed to see people don't throw things away. They, they, they fix everything. Their ability to sew and craft and, and you know, oh, the, the zipper busted, I'm going to get rid of this. No, 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 let's fix it. And the ability to, to fix things. We serve a God who's a fixer. We see an image of Israel, and in many ways I think we can just, the church and, our, and ourselves as well, on the, the pedestal, as a broken vessel, being fixed and refashioned. You see, Israel was made not just to look nice, but to be a vessel. What is a vessel? By definition, a vessel is something made to carry something else. right? To bear something else. So a vessel is something like a boat or a bowl. Right? Its purpose is to hold or carry or bear Something else. Not many of us just put a bowl on the shelf. Not many of us take, get a boat and then just put it on the lawn and never, never take it anywhere. Right? How many people get a new fancy, you know, a Yeti coffee mug or something and then they just put it on the shelf so that people can see it when they walk by. Right? That's not what a vessel does. It looks nice, but it's more important that it bears something, that it carries something. Israel was made to look pleasing, yes, to others, to God, but to bear, to carry something. That something was God's holiness and love. They were made to be vessels that would carry God's holiness and God's love into the world for the sake of the world. Right? This is what Israel, the church, and really you and me were made for. We were made to be vessels. We were made to carry God's God's image, God's holiness and love into the world for the sake of the world. This is the mission of God. There's a fun, fancy term, the missio day. Maybe you've heard of that. The mission of God is to, to bring God's holiness and love, to bring salvation into the world. And not to do so through like leaflets or or some sort of, you know, drop things dropped on or whatever, but through this is why we're made. God has chosen through some strange reasoning that's only God's to, to bring God's love and grace into the world through us. It's one of the reasons why God's named the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel in the Old Testament. is because God is known as a relationship. God, God is related to people through other people and tasks us with bearing His holiness and love into the world. This is what holiness is. Holiness is to be set apart. But we often stop there. We think that holiness is like uh, some sort of vessel. And you take it and and it's usually plaster and pristine or whatever. And then you set it on a pedestal and it looks really fancy and then just don't touch it. But see, holiness is being set apart. But then it's being set apart so that you can be commissioned and sent in. Holiness is about being set apart, pure, beautiful, special, so that you can get dirty. So that you could get broken even. Because we serve a God that doesn't let you stay broken. We often go halfway with holiness and we forget. We think it's just about like, well, we don't do this and we don't do that. And we look a certain way so that we look very special. But really, that's just the first step. It's kind of like we prepare so that we can get really messy and be sent in. Set apart to be sent in. Does that make sense? That's what Jeremiah is telling Israel. You've got special purpose. God has done something special in you and will continue to do something special in you. God is setting you apart. Now are you going to take that and and just kind of sit back and, and feel really important and special? Or are you going to jump in and get messy and trust that God's going to keep you holy and full of love? This is the mission of the church. It's what holiness is all about. To be set apart for a special purpose and then to be sent in, to be called out to be sent in. The future of the church, I believe, the future, I would assume, of this church, it may not look exactly like what you thought. If I'm the bearer of this unexpected news, I apologize. But often things don't look exactly like the way we plan. The future of this church, of the church, may not look anything like what it looked like 20 years ago, or 50 years ago. But the good news is, What it will look like is exactly what God wants it to look like. You see, it may look very different. The future of this church or the church, it may have buildings like this, it may not at all. It may have people who look like us or people who look totally different than us. I hope it's a bit more diverse. But whatever the future of the church does look like, it's going to look like what God wants it to look like. And the question is, are we going to embrace that and embrace that mission? Or... Or not? Is it maybe too scary or too different or too unknown? I admit I'm right there with you personally. There's not a lot about my life today that looks like the way I I maybe thought it was going to look like. Even just a few years ago. Um, not a lot of it looks like I thought it was supposed to look You know I'm a planner So I tend to think This is exactly how things ought to go I like to make a, a list For the list And a plan To make the plan happen And then So when, when something changes Okay I've, I've got my backup plan and, of course, there's lots of things, some that maybe I just shouldn't go into, but one of the key things, and I've mentioned this to you already, that changed in my life was was my dad passing away. Very unexpected, completely unexpected. had never spent a day in a hospital in his life, and then COVID-related, and, and, and he's passed. And then we suddenly have to rethink, you know, we're in a whole different part of the world, everything is different, have to think through all these things and responsibilities that we didn't think we'd have to do, and... Um, How do do we make decisions about moving forward with jobs and career? We're tired of moving, stuff like that. One of the things this summer looked like for us, we we left Kenya in early May, and uh, I guess late May, excuse me, and we spent a couple weeks on family vacation in the UK, visiting, we used to live in the UK for a little bit, and visiting friends and traveling around, and uh, then we got back to New Mexico, and and, uh, we wanted to just spend a few weeks there, it ended up being about six or seven um, but but I was really grateful for that time because my mom had just been alone for so long and and the noise and the the people in her home it was really good for her it was good for us as well but also my dad was he was a contractor he's a builder a huge workshop full of of toys, right? But like work tools and equipment and none of it was needed by my mom at all and so I had to do so much, you know, cleaning and organizing to sell or to give away or repurpose and it was really hard. You know, maybe you've had to do this sort of thing. You find yourself going through items that belong to somebody else, a loved one, thinking, I feel bad taking this because it was his. It's not mine. But on the other hand, he'd probably want me to have it instead of just giving it away or, or selling it at a garage sale. So spending a lot of time thinking, okay, my mom wants these things. And forgive me if this brings up any, any difficult emotions for you, but it's, it's part of life. It's part of what the church goes through as well. So finding things that my mom needs. Finding a lot, we have nothing. We've had to buy everything, and we have so many things that we don't have. Because what we do have is on a boat from Africa, somewhere in the ocean. And you never know if it'll ever show up. Um, and then finding things that we can use, and then having a giant, enormous sale. That thankfully, I've never been a part of a sale like that. That's gone so well, sold every single thing, and was you know been able, was able to help my mom in that way. But one of the things that I did during this time... I'm not a woodworker. Um, I'm decently handy, and I'm learning. wish I would have learned more from him when I was younger. But I'm finding things that I think, well, that's not exactly how he would have used it, but I could use it this way. So things like... There was a little tabletop that he had made for a workbench long ago, but it was very nice, tucked away in a shop, and I thought, that could be my home office desk. So I took that and bought some legs and put it on. And now I have a, a desk in my home office. There's a little matching shelf that I can put up as well. Or, or he loved to make cabinets. He liked to do all the detailed work. And so there, I found all these cabinet doors that I think were sample doors that he would... He built my, my, you know, their, their cabinets, but he would show to people I could do this one or this one or whatever. Well, I don't need cabinets, especially four or five different cabinet doors. But when I saw them, I thought... We could stain that or paint it and maybe put cork on it and it could be a cork board for the kids to hang things up or put pictures on or you know, find ways that I could take some stuff and repurpose it so that he would still be present, you know, in our in our life and our home and, and that sort of thing. This is a lot of what Jeremiah is seeing here. This repurposing. I find myself thinking, Well, this isn't the purpose for this. But I could take it and I could give it a new purpose. I could give it new life. And I could put it in my home or use it in this way. I spent much of my summer doing this. And it's exactly, I think, what Jeremiah is talking about. And I think in many ways, it's what you find yourself doing as well. The church, I think goes through this process frequently and it's the process that you're now beginning of having to go through you know, somebody else's belongings or having to go through a period of time and sorting out what's, what do I keep? What do I get rid of? How can we repurpose this? What change is coming? I didn't want that change to come. I wasn't ready for that. But it's here anyways. So how can we engage that and move forward in a healthy, promising way? I think... That that's kind of where we're at. And I think that the church is the better for it. We've been around for a long time, and we've had to do this a lot. Thousands of years, right? The church looks very different today in some places than it looked 2,000 years ago. And in some places, it looks exactly the same. But even those places, they have to change. They have to go through. What do we keep? What do we get rid of? How do we adopt? adapt? How do we change? What do we hold on to no matter what? I think that we're the better for it. Over the next few months, that's my job, is to help you as a church to remind you that God has a divine purpose for you, for your church. Our God is a great potter, a great artisan, a great craftsman, builder, whatever image you want to picture. Our God is really, really creative and purposeful behind creation. God doesn't make mistakes. God doesn't make something and think, no, that was a dumb... I shouldn't have made that pot. Let me get rid of it. Now, maybe God says, that needs some retooling. But God's really good at that. God's really creative and really purposeful at God's work. Now, the, now the truth... Just occasionally, I'll, I'll, I'll try to speak some tough truths to you. Your building, as wonderful as it is, I haven't seen all of it yet, but it seems really nice, It's not God's work. Your, your programming, the things, that, the things that you have planned, your strategies or whatever, it's not really God's work. Your own plans for, this is, this is what the church is supposed to look like, or you know, the church board, these are our five goals that we have to accomplish this. Those are not even God's work. You are God's work. Don't get me wrong about the other. But the the point is you, your bodies, your lives, your community, that's God's work. That's where God fearfully and wonderfully crafted individuals and people and community and said, I've got some plans for these people, for these women, for these men, for these children. You are God's work. And if you're broken, if you're cracked, the good news is God's really good at still using you and repurposing you For God's work. You, we, are God's work. Are God's handiwork. We were designed, like Israel, to be beautiful and pleasing to God, to the world around us, and to be vessels to bear, to carry God's holiness and love into the world for them, for the sake of the world. This is the mission of God that we have been asked to join into. And though the world changes and things change, that mission hasn't changed. And it won't change. We could find ourselves terraforming Mars. Who knows? And that mission will be the same. Living in space in some weird sci-fi future, the mission will still be the same. To be beautiful and pleasing to God and to bear God's holiness and love into the world or worlds or whatever for God's sake. But will we be ready? Will we heed the message of Jeremiah? Will we look around and say, we still have hope. We still have a future. God still has a plan for us. We can't forget about our calling. Things like caring for the least of these and and loving and serving others. If we learn from that, if if we're willing to listen, then God will do great things through us the future won't look exactly like what you expect you've probably learned that already if you haven't this might be one of those times where God's kind of knocking at your door saying hey things change I don't but the way that I adapt in the world changes You, you, you can the way I engage the world changes you can do the same this is probably one of those times. As I close, I want to read a a story that you—it's very short, don't worry—that you've probably heard this before, but it's just very applicable. Um, it's often kind of a modern parable, the parable of the cracked pot. Uh, you, again, you've probably heard this, but if not, let me read this, and then this then it would be a good time to go get, uh, Pastor. Yeah. Okay. So there's a water bearer in India who had two large pots, one hung on each end of the pole. Maybe you've seen these. In, in Africa, I would see women especially carrying things on their heads, crazy. Big jugs of water, sometimes walking miles to get them. In India, so this is like a pole, and there's a jug on each side to balance, right? So she's, she's carrying, I assume it's a she, yeah, uh, is carrying this pole with these two pots, and she's carrying it across her neck, and one of the pots has a crack in it. Well, the other pot was perfect and it always carried the water. It always delivered a full portion of water at the end of the long walk from the stream to the woman's house. The crack pot, though, arrived only half full. For full two years, this went on daily, with the bearer delivering only one and a half pots of full water to her master's house. The perfect pot was so proud of its accomplishments, perfect to the end to which it was made. But the poor cracked pot was ashamed of its own imperfection. It was miserable that it was able to accomplish only half of what it had been made to do, right? It has one purpose. After two years of what it perceived to be a bitter failure, it spoke, which that right there probably startled the woman, it spoke to the water bearer one day by the stream, I'm ashamed of myself. I want to apologize to you. Why? asked the bearer. What are you ashamed of? she says. I have been able for these past two years to deliver only half of my load because this crack in my side causes water to leak out all the way back to your mistress's house. Because of my flaws, you have to do all this work and you don't get full value from your efforts, the pot said. The water bearer felt sorry for the old cracked pot and in her compassion she said, As we return to the mistress's house, I want you to notice the beautiful flowers along the path. Indeed, as they went up the hill, the old cracked pot took notice of the sun warming the beautiful wildflowers on the side of the path. And this cheered at some. But at the end of the trail, it still felt bad because it had leaked out half of its load. And so again, it apologized to the bearer for its failure. And the bearer said to the pot, Did you notice that there were flowers only on your side of the path, but not on the other pot's side? That's because I've always known about your flaw. And I took advantage of it. I planted flower seeds on the side, of, on your side of the path, and every day while we walk back from the stream, you have watered them. For two years, I've been able to pick these beautiful flowers to decorate my mistress's table. Without you being just the way you are, she would not have this beauty to grace her house. We're all like that pot in many ways. We have flaws. We have cracks. And as we see in the, in the, in the, in the parable, as we hear in the parable, as we, as we heard in the story of Jeremiah and the potter, God is good at refashioning us, at fixing us. Sometimes it might just be like a band-aid or a patch. Sometimes it might be a whole new reworking. You know, I, I, I am not a potter. I've seen some videos, I've seen some people working, but I believe there's ways that sometimes they can actually make vessels that are completely different looking using that same clay base by refashioning. And I'm sure that process is difficult and challenging, but it's certainly beneficial and helpful to the world and to the pot. We serve a God who revels in cracked pots, you know the thing about it, uh, as a theologian, I think about this kind of thing all the time. God knew that you were going to have cracks, and made you anyway. God, God said, "Yep, she's going to end up broken in this way, and he's going to end up broken in this way, and he's probably going to break some other pots along the way." But I'm going to make him anyways. I'm going to make her anyways, because if they'll let me, I'll do some amazing work through them. God knew we were going to be cracked. God knew that we would be broken. God knew you'd find yourself in a culture, in a time of change, in a time of COVID, in a time of pastoral transition, and said, if they'll give that to me, I can do some really great things through them. It may not look like what they want, but it will be good. We serve a God who revels in cracked pots and loves to make beauty out of broken things. Amen? I like to typically end the sermon because I know somebody asked me about expectations and what would turn me off or, or, or earlier or whatever I just assume people tune out the, the Broncos will start playing at some point or you know you'll, you'll get tired so I typically try to end with like a, like three takeaways so that if you tune me out completely here's three things you can take uh, so that you can say you get your money's worth so to speak today though it's just one it's just real simple because I felt like I should just share something real simple and direct with you today and the simple thing is this, God created us individually, the church, Israel, God created us to be beautiful and pleasing to God, but to be bearers, and also I should say, to be bearers of God's holiness and love to the world for their sake. That it's not just about being beautiful and special, but it's about being filled up with God's holiness and love, so that you can then go into the world and maybe you go in as a whole pot to pour it out or maybe you go in as a cracked pot causing flowers to spring up all over the place. Who knows? But that's why we were made. That's our purpose. And that purpose doesn't change despite pandemics or cultural changes or pastoral changes or whatever. Our purpose remains the same. Your purpose remains the same. To be beautiful and pleasing to God and to bear God's holiness and love into the world for the sake of the world. The psalm uh, passage for the week... I'm often a lectionary preacher, and the psalm passage for the week assigned just t- speaks to this beautifully. So I'm going to end by reading... Um, I, I typed 119 to you. I'm sorry. It's, it's 139. I, I typed the wrong thing. I apologize. So it's Psalm 139, so I'm just going to read this to you, and then I believe we're going to have a moment of prayer after that. But I'm going to read Psalm 139, starting with one, verse 6. Verse 1 through 6. O Lord, you have searched me and known me, You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down. You're acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is in my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Then I'm going to skip to verse 13. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me, when none of them yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! I try to count them. They're more than the sand. I come to the end, and I am still with you. These are the words of somebody who knows that God has a purpose and a plan for their life. They're words that I think are applicable to you and to me as well. God knows us. God loves us, broken and flawed as we are, and can still do great things in and through us. Let me pray, and then I believe we're going to have a time of prayer for uh, Monty and Renee, who I was able to hear some amazing things about what they're doing, and I'm sure we'll get to hear from them in six or seven weeks or so when they're back about their amazing things as well. So as they come, I'm just going to close to, to conclude. God, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for loving us to the point that you would create us, knowing how broken and flawed we would be. And you made us anyways thank you for loving our churches for loving this church despite all of our brokenness and all of our flaws because you can and will do great things through us I pray that if nothing else today we would just simply leave reminded that you love us you care for us that you, were cre- you created us for a purpose and that purpose is to be pleasing to you and especially by bearing your love and your holiness into the world for the sake of the world be with us as we meet together, that especially as we go out and serve and live our lives, may we be vessels, broken, fixed vessels, sharing your love and holiness with the world. In your name we pray, Lord. Amen. Amen.